Hello and welcome to the Pharmacotherapy Podcast. My name is Tom Lodis. I am a professor at Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences and a clinical pharmacy specialist at the Stratton VA Medical Center in Albany, New York. I also serve as one of the scientific editors for pharmacotherapy. Today, we are talking with Dr. Nick O'Donnell and Dr. Monique Bedell about a paper the three of us wrote entitled, Approach to the Treatment of Patients with Serious MDR Pseudomonas Aeruginosa Infections, which is published in the September 2020 issue of Pharmacotherapy. Nick is an assistant professor at the Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, and Monique is an infectious disease clinical pharmacist at Massachusetts General Hospital. Nick and Monique, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Hi, Tom. Thanks for putting this together. And thank you for joining. Um, So before we begin to move to the question and answer portion of the podcast, I would first like to set the stage. Uh, Typically, we have a non-author lead the podcast. However, we felt it was the best that I lead the podcast and ask Nick and Monique some questions about our paper. Uh, When we wrote the paper, we felt it was important to be as objective and evidence-based as possible when describing the various empiric and definitive treatment options available for patients with serious multidrug-resistant pseudomonas infections. From an empiric standpoint, that is clear that prompt initiation of antibiotic therapy for patients with serious MDR pseudomonas infections with in vitro activity at, at infection onset is critically important, as data shows failure to administer early appropriate therapy stand, substantially increases both morbidity and mortality. However, as discussed in a paper, there are many acceptable empiric treatment options that meet the definition of early appropriate therapy for patients with serious MDR infections. Therefore, we thought this podcast would serve as a good opportunity to discuss some of the greatness in the literature regarding empiric therapy options and discuss some of the factors that we consider when recommending one empiric therapy option over another. Um, So before we begin discussing um, empiric therapy selections and and what drives decisions, I guess, Nick, I'll ask you first, you know, what patient populations do you absolutely cover for MDR pseudomonas? I mean, I think the patients that I'm most concerned about are those with uh, a history of infection with a multidrug-resistant pseudomonas or a history of colonization with the MDR uh, pseudomonas. Um, so, Monique, is there any um, additional patient populations that you always cover for MDR pseudomonas? I think definitely a history of MDR pseudomonas is a huge factor in terms of considering an MDR process when that patient represents. I think some other risk factors that I'm thinking about definitely extensive antibiotic exposure and, you know, appreciating that extensive is not well defined, but. Some things that I'm thinking about are multiple courses of anti-pseudomonal agents, uh, maybe prolonged courses, which leads you to believe that maybe that patient had a higher burden of infection, and now maybe we're seeing some development of multidrug resistance. And also, I consider patients who have a history of pseudomonas infection. We have some MIC data. Maybe it's not necessarily MDR at that point previously. But if you look at the MICs, maybe those MICs for most, if not all agents, are sitting right at the breakpoint of susceptibility, and we know they've received one or more courses of a few agents since then. Um, so in that patient, I'd definitely be concerned about a multidrug-resistant process. Interesting. So Nick, so I guess the question I have for you is, you know, how do you define extensive prior antibiotic exposure, and is there anything else you'd like to add what um, Monique commented on? Uh, no, I, I think that all, all of those are definitely populations where we should be considering uh, empiric coverage for multidrug-resistant pseudomonas. 
Um, and as Monique uh, identified, and, and I think a lot of clinicians struggle, struggled with, is what really is extensive exposure. Um, wh- when I'm looking at a, a patient, I'm most concerned with patients uh, who have received antipsychotic agents within the past month um, or so. Uh, and as that, the number of agents uh, and the recency of that exposure increases, those are the patients that become more and more concerning. So now to the ultimate question. So Monique, you know, in a paper, we, we clearly discuss all the different empiric therapy options, um, but at your institution and even personally, what is your preferred regimen? And um, are there any factors that you consider when you prioritize um, one potential treatment option over another? And again, this is in, for empiric coverage where, you know, the decision is made to treat for MDR pseudomonas. Absolutely. I think there are a few important considerations. The first being that risk is a continuum, right? It's not a dichotomous variable. We're considering what is the patient's history? What agents have they been exposed to? What's their status in terms of their degree of critical illness? What's their infectious burden? What's their immune status? All these different things that you know will help us decide how concerned we are about that patient. I'd say in the event we have prior susceptibility data, given that they are you know, experiencing a recurrence of infection, perhaps, I think that's critical because that can clue us into you know, what is most likely not a viable option at this point based off of what we know this patient has grown in the past. Um, and again, factoring that into what have they received since we have seen them last. So I think prior susceptibility data can be very helpful. Um, in the absence of that, you know, I think it's perfectly reasonable to look to your antibiogram for some guidance. Uh, at my institution, we have a pretty favorable uh, cefepime susceptibility rate at 85%. And we also know that our combination antibiogram offers 98% susceptibility for cefepime plus topramycin. So I'm considering those numbers, particularly in the absence of having any other data to work with. Okay, so Nick, what do you think? Are are you uh, more favorable to using a conventional anti-pseudomonal beta-lactam with or without an aminoglycoside, or are you more partial to one of the more recently approved agents with enhanced activity against uh, pseudomonas aeruginosa? I think there's definitely some patients who we can get away with, uh, you know, a dose-optimized anti-pseudomonal beta-lactam alone. Um, especially uh, in those patients where we have previous cultures, we know that well, it may be resistant to say like a you know, uh, meropenem and zosin, maybe we still do have that cefepime susceptibility that we can uh, achieve adequate exposures. But when we start getting into the patients that are maybe more critically ill, maybe uh, maybe have a little bit uh, less reserve with regards to their immune system, um, and we're starting to think about using a beta-lactam plus something like an aminoglycoside or colistin, um, I think I tend to err more towards a newer agent. Um, the reason being, you know, when we're combining uh, those traditional beta-lactams with an aminoglycoside, we're kind of using that as a safety net to cover for any bugs that are resistant to that initial beta-lactam, but um, they're not all that safe, right? When that that combination has gone up against septolazine and tazobactam, uh, we've seen uh, increased uh, rates of toxicity uh, as well as decreased clinical cure in uh, clinical data from Jason Pogue. And uh, in some of the data from Jason Gallagher showing that delays in septolazantazobactam administration for pseudomonal infections five days or more was actually associated with increased mortality. So if we're just going to use that combination up front for a couple days uh, and then switch them to something else, whether that's a 
traditional or conventional anti-pseudomonal beta-lactam because it's susceptible or uh, a newer beta-lactam because it's not susceptible. I, I guess my kind of approach is just to uh, pick one lane and, and stick with that based on the patient's characteristics. Yeah. And, and I think, Nick, I think of, and Monique, I think of the two options. I think in someone who's critically ill, you know, you have pseudomonas, you know, or the appearance of pseudomonas on the grand stain. I, I think I would lean towards um, one of the newer agents as well. I, I think when we think about MDR, pseudomonas, you know, conventional agents in most cases maybe have 50% susceptibility. So I, I think for those reasons and the importance of early appropriate therapy, I think that really needs to be our mantra with these patients. I, I would argue that I'm more favorable um, to the newer agents as well. Um, having said that, you know, and keeping stewardship in mind, you know, I think we have to do susceptibility testing um, as part of that practice because we cannot assume that they're always going to be susceptible. And I think it's important to look at both, you know, the initial isolate as, as well as any re isolates recovered downstream in a given patient because there have been reports of emergence or resistance. So, Monique, let me ask you this. <clears throat> Just say you're in a situation where cefepime is not an option. Um, you know, it's either resistant, you know, in a prior culture or you anticipate that it's going to be resistant um, in the patient at this point in time. You know, if you were to pick one of the newer agents, um, do you have a, are you partial to any one of them? I mean, we have, you know, CT, um, we have Abicaz, we have Imurel and, and also Sofiterical. So we, we have actually four good options, um, all drugs with enhanced activity um, against pseudomonas, including um, the multi-drug resistant strain. So of the four, are you partial to any one of them? Well, I'll first start by um, commenting on kind of what you and Nick were discussing. And I'll add that I completely agree that in a critically ill patient with any concern for MDR, pseudomonas, particularly in the event of them having a cefepime resistant strain, I think in that case, we can have some, you know, reasonable concern that our conventional beta-lactams may not be super reliable in that case, since we we do appreciate there, that there is a degree of cross-resistance among the beta-lactams just by the nature of the mechanisms of resistance that we see in pseudomonas. So I think that's absolutely, um, you know, totally reasonable and definitely something I'm thinking about in the right patient. I will say in a less critically ill patient, appreciating that there is that spectrum of illness I think it's perfectly reasonable to give them a dose-optimized beta-lactam if you can be confident or relatively confident that that beta-lactam will have activity against that isolate given your MIC and susceptibility data, along with combination therapy like an optimized tobramycin. And, you know, we can perform therapeutic drug monitoring to make sure we're using that agent safely. So I think there's definitely a role for combination therapy. And then in those patients that, as you identified, are you know, perhaps at risk for deterioration or at risk of critical illness, um, I think having that contingency plan to pull the trigger on a novel beta-lactam in those cases, I think is definitely something that I'm considering in my practice. So kind of teetering between, do I use combination therapy now and preserve my beta-lactam in the event that my patient's going to need it down the road, be it in 24 hours or in three months from now? So if you did have to pick, which, which one is, is the preferred at your institution? My practice would be to pick ceftolazine tazobactam. I will say that with the emergence of, you know, more MDR pathogens that we're seeing, particularly pseudomonas, and given that we have a handful of newer agents, which, you know, ultimately is great, but 
we are building uh, a more standardized approach to susceptibility testing of MDR pseudomonas isolates at our institution. So we pretty routinely uh, will test septolazine, tazobactam, septazidine, avobactam, assuming that testing makes sense based off of your septazidine, MIC, colicin. And now we start to add imipenem and imipenem relbactam, excuse me, and sofitercol into the mix as well. I have noticed in our handful of cases where we've tested the full spectrum of newer agents, there is some variability, particularly in your more highly multidrug resistant strains. So, you know, given that there is some inconsistencies in terms of uh, MIC data among them, I think the most reliable agent that I'm finding is septolazine tazobactam. Okay. And, and uh, do you have a preferred agent of the newer ones? I, I agree with Monique. I think if Pseudomonas is the only multidrug resistant concern on the table, I think septolazine is definitely the way to go. Recognizing that a risk factor like um, extensive antibiotic exposure can overlap into other types of gram negatives if we don't know it's Pseudomonas yet. Um, and we think that the patient may be at risk for um, you know, a CRE at the same time, then potentially I'd be looking towards something like Imirel, potentially Ceftaz, Avibactam, depending on kind of local susceptibilities there. But that uh, if it's if Pseudomonas is the primary concern, then Ceftolazane, um, it would be where I, I start. All right, excellent. So I guess the other thing is, you know, we have Cefiteracol now. Um, Nick, any thoughts on Cefiteracol, where it's ultimately going to fit in? Is it going to be more of a Pseudomonas drug, perhaps Acinetobacter? Um, you know, where, where do you think that's going to fit in the practice? I mean, I think it has some interesting and, and important activity against MDR and even some XDR uh, organisms. I, I think that based on the limited clinical trial data that we have, uh, its place in non-urinary uh, infections, at least in my mind still, uh, we need a little bit more data before we start using it pretty widely. Um, but I, uh, we haven't really had an opportunity to use it um, at Albany Med uh, to this point. So I don't have any personal experience with it yet. So I, I'm kind of on the uh, the stance of holding out until we have a, a bit more data or a patient that, you know, really doesn't have any other options. So Monique, you mentioned that you're doing testing as a fitter call at your institution. What have you seen? Have you used it at all, particularly for patients with MDR pseudomonas? We have tested a call in a handful of cases, I would say. I would take the stance of being cautiously optimistic uh, we have used it in a couple cases with good clinical success, and I can appreciate from, you know, the credible study that there was kind of that signal in terms of some safety concerns with Cefiterocol, but I'm kind of of the opinion that, you know, we're at the last line with all of these patients, and, and when we're considering Cefiterocol, it frequently means that we've exhausted all of our other options. So, yeah, we have, we have had limited success with it, but cautiously optimistic. All right. Uh, thank you. Um, so with that, I think clearly there's a lot of things we can discuss as part of our paper. Well, but I think the most important thing is um, really the empiric therapy decisions, because that ultimately decides you know, how the patient's going to do downstream. So with that, I appreciate both of you joining me in the podcast today. And I would encourage everybody to read the paper if they have not done so, because it really articulates some of the finer details um, that we discussed um, on this podcast. So thank you for your time and everybody have a good day. Thanks, Tom. Thank you.